0: And then there was much rejoicing. The Philadelphia Eagles are mere days away from taking over the NFC East following a resounding defeat over a fully able-bodied, absolutely stacked Washington Redskins team. And to join me on this exploration of the Philadelphia sports landscape, including that Eagles game, an update on Markel Fultz, and even the Flyers with a new GM are Kevin Kincaid and Phil Kaidel who you can find on Twitter, respectively, at Kevin underscore Kincaid, and oh. at Phil Kaidel. That's K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. Gentlemen, how hype are you
1: after that Eagles win?
2: Get excited, Russ. Everybody's got Should to get excited. Maybe a new
1: parade route this year. What do you think?
2: About a 6-6 six and six football team that managed to beat Mark Sanchez on their home turf. And they also held off Colt McCoy, for about a quarter as well, so uh, so color me impressed, man. You know this team is going to the playoffs.
1: Kevin, you're so negative. Play-off. They, Play-off. they beat Eli play-offs. Manning twice. Play-off.
2: Playoffs.
0: Playoffs. It was uh, it was it was a heck of a game. I uh, when we do the the predictions column that Chris Play-off. puts together, I was I feel like the last three games I've just been like, we're gonna get to the end of it and just wonder why we stayed
2: up, and that was last night. I I was right. Well, here's the thing. They, uh, you know, I see some people out there saying, "Okay, you know, they're six and six. They got a chance." So you're telling me there's a chance? You know, the dumb and dumber line. They're playing meaningful football going into December. The division's not a runaway for the Cowboys. You know, if they beat the Cowboys next week, both teams are seven and six. Um, but I, but I don't like, you know, the, the, they are now in a spot this week where they were three weeks ago, which is a 500 team with a shot at the Cowboys and they blew the last one on their home field. So what makes you think that this week's going to be any different in Dallas when they're rested? the Eagles are on a short week. Dallas is on a four game win streak. I mean, they had a chance at at 500 to beat Dallas and go to five and four and they fucking blew it. So now at six and six, they're going to go down to Dallas and beat them and go to seven and six. Like, I just don't, I just don't see it. I, I I look at this resume and I see that they beat Matt Ryan at home. They beat Andrew Luck at home, who I think was in, was not yet, you know, totally himself yet coming off the injury. They beat, they beat Blake Bortles on a neutral field. They beat Eli Manning at home. They beat Eli Manning on the road. And then they beat Colt McCoy and Mark Sanchez at home. So, so I don't, I just don't see, like, I don't see what some other people are seeing. I'm not saying that everybody here is out here going rah-rah, you know, the underdogs, you know, we eat, we run faster when we're hungry, and, blah, 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 and you know, playing the disrespect card and all that stuff. But I just, I, you know, my eyes tell me that this is a, they are what they are. They're just a 500 team, you know?
1: It's not just that, by the way. The Rams and Texans are still on the schedule, right? Like, yes. even if they win this game and go to seven and six, it could very easily go south in a hurry after they win that game. By the way, I love the Cowboys in this matchup, but putting that aside, even if the Eagles win the game, Really and go going on a win there, Phil? Well, but in all seriousness, they win the, the Cowboys game, they even it up, because I've heard people say that they're a much better team in Dallas against the Cowboys than they are in Philadelphia against Dallas, which makes no sense to me. But putting all that aside, if they go down to Dallas and win that game and go to 7-6, and six, you still have two teams on the schedule that are going to be favored against them. Even with the Texans coming to Philadelphia, I, I think the Texans will be favored. I don't see a way out of this for the Eagles, and I think Kevin hit it on the nose. They basically frittered away three or four weeks, hovering around five hundred. The time to make the move into contention was three or four weeks ago, and they didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the
0: problem of losing at home. The reason that people like me feel like there's a little bit of confidence going into Dallas is if you look at the last eight seasons, which doesn't mean anything. I know this is a Ruben Frank stat. Uh, 2010, they split the season series. The Eagles won in Dallas. 2011, uh, the Eagles won both games. 2012, Dallas won both games. 2013, the Eagles won at Dallas. 2014, the Eagles won at Dallas. 2015, um, the Eagles won at Dallas. 2016, the Eagles uh, lost at Dallas. So, I mean, it's... I don't know. 17, 17 the Eagles won at Dallas. Like, I feel... I always feel more confident, for whatever reason these last few years, that they're going to go down into Jerry World, and there's something about it, and there are guys here who have been here for long enough to know the significance of the rivalry, and and they, I don't know, they just get themselves ready, they get themselves mentally prepared, they're playing, the, what, the 425 game, so they've got yeah. Troy Aikman and Joe Buck on the call, um, not that that changes anything for the players, but... It's um, better than
2: last night's crew. Especially. Oh my god. Monday Can we talk crew. about that for a second? Well, we'll get to that later. I got oh, I want to do the whole geez, domestic violence so thing with that. Yeah, listen, so, so they get bad. so if the if the Eagles win, if the Eagles beat the Cowboys next week, both teams are seven and six, okay? Yep. Then the Eagles go out to Los Angeles and get their ass kicked, okay? Yep. So they're seven and seven. We're all in agreement on that, right?
1: Yep, for sure.
2: The Cowboys go to Indy. Okay, which is kind which is it's tricky, but it's it's not going to los angeles right so i I don't know let's just just for purposes of the exercise let's say that they lose that game also okay so both teams are seven and seven so you have two seven and seven teams with two more games left to play dallas finishes home to tampa and at new york the eagles finish at home to houston and then they have to go to washington so do, do you see i don't see dallas going any worse than two and two the rest of the way which gets them to nine and seven the eagles have to go three and one the rest of the way to get to nine and seven and then they win the tiebreaker with dallas because it goes to the divisional record and they would be five and one and dallas would be four and two because they have the loss to washington the 2017 loss to washington in week seven that's that's not it's just not likely you know
1: not only is it not likely but what are we really torturing ourselves to achieve here so, well, they're going to get the they, bo- the they get they
2: they get their ass kicked in the playoffs ultimately anyway. So what we, right? What is say. what is the end game? Right? Why are we Will
1: they torturing ourselves this way? Will Why does it matter
0: they? so much, guys? They they've been underdogs before.
1: Oh my God!
0: They've been underdogs before. Philadelphia,
1: Philadelphia. you have your mask on.
0: Look at you, like
2: right? this is the no? more interesting no? thing here, here. This is the this is the more the 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 playoff picture as it as it as it stands now once this fucking loads on my computer here uh you know the rams and the saints are whatever right that that's inevitably they might as well just play just take us to the playoffs now and play the game because everybody knows it's going to be the saints and the rams right can i make a? let me make a the, case against that really quick
0: jared goff in the playoffs i know that mcveigh is a great coach i know that that team is is massively skilled i know they're way better on paper than the eagles are and I'm not saying the Eagles would be the team to knock them out, but I wouldn't be that surprised if LA is a uh, a first round knock. Well, I like guess tex- technically it's a second second round. Their first game that they get knocked out. I mean, there's there's nothing like playoff pressure, and it's something that like I until we see Goff really rise to the occasion, um, you know, I, I'm not so sure that it's going to happen.
2: Surely, um, you, surely you don't see like the like the Vikings or the Seahawks no. going out there and, and beating them, right? Because that's what it that's what it is right now. I mean, as it stands, the Vikings are the sixth seed, the Seahawks are the fifth seed. The Vikings are in the playoffs at six five and one. You know, they, the Eagles are, are right there, and, and the Cowboys are the division leader right now. So even though the wild card thing is weird because they don't they, you know they don't have the tiebreaker against the Panthers, they don't have the tiebreaker against the Vikings, but they could very well finish above one or both of those teams. I don't Here's know. I don't your know if the wild test. card does anything for you.
1: Do you trust the Cowboys or the Bears right now to go to LA and beat the Rams? The Bears are good. Oh, the, the Bears pro- are not good. The Bears defense is very good. Now sure, if they don't they have, one they don't of have the ball, Mitchell if, they're if good they at. don't
0: have Trubisky back, who you uh you love so much and you've likened Markel Fultz to, uh, woefully. Well and so
1: far as the Bears traded up to get an inferior player, yes, that's that's exactly how I've equated Mitchell Trubisky to Markel Fultz, and I will stand by that analysis. Now, as it turns out, Trubisky's probably a much more accomplished and potentially solid player than Fultz will ever be, but we'll get to that later.
0: Does hey, he have a problem, so, problem
1: with his uh, thoracic back or no? Oh, Jesus.
2: So listen, do you – honestly, if the Eagles somehow slide in here, it's like a – somehow get the wild card and end up as the sixth seed, do you see the Eagles doing anything in Chicago against the Bears? If Trubisky's not back, yeah. Why not? Well, even that defense, though. I mean – Chase Daniels not gonna light the world on fire. Or Chase Daniels, as Eagles fans like to call him. Just like him. Alshon Jeffries. Alshon Jeffries. Um, Asante Samuels.
0: Look, I, I think the Bears could go either Nelson, way. Aguilar. Like, nothing in the NFC would really surprise me all that much. Like if, if the idea is could Chicago's defense knock off a, a great offense like you see out in uh, in LA? Yeah, yeah in, in yeah. theory, like on, on any given Sunday, I know it's cliche, but like realistically a, a great defense comes in and and uh, you know rattles a young quarterback. It's possible that the, great defense
1: same, gave up a twenty to nothing lead to Aaron Rodgers earlier this season. Well, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Rodgers an was limping around. So oh, he's, he's he's so good. They're four seven and one. Uh, I mean, they please fired save their coach, me from though. the Bears being an elite defense. They're not an elite defense. They're another team, and they're in a bad division. That the Bears are not going to do anything in the playoffs. I would stake a lot of things. I could afford to lose on the fact that the bears are going to be one and out in the playoffs. I'm very season. excited to see the bears represent the NFC. Now that you've put that under the universe, it's so, never
2: going. To happen. So what did the, what did the Eagles do on Monday night that would give you some kind of hope? If I'm going to put, put this sardonic thing on the shelf for now, if I'm going to put the sarcastic, you know, bullshit, whatever, negative on the shelf and just try to take a, a pragmatic approach to it and say, if the Eagles are going to be successful going forward, did you see anything on Monday night that convinced you that yeah they have a chance against Dallas and maybe they can beat Houston at home?
0: Mike Rowe realized that getting Golden Tate involved in the game plan is actually worthwhile. I mean, that, but was, that was he involved that was, in the
2: game plan? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they got him on. They got, they got him on him, a couple of like, bullshit scramble they got him, plays. Yeah,
0: I mean that that to me is is where this thing needs to go next level. Like if the the defense has been injured, I get it. And I don't expect that like the secondary when you get down to your fourth cornerback is supposed to, you know, light the world on fire. At that point, it's just damage control. But the biggest letdown this season has been the offense. When you get Carson Wentz back, there have been plenty of people on Twitter who have been saying that, and it's usually people who are either doctors or people who do physical rehab for athletes where they say that he's not planting properly. He's just kind of slinging. He's putting more emphasis on his arm. And that's why we're seeing some erratic play out of him. Uh, even though statistically, this is why traditional stats aren't always the thing to tell the story. If you if you measure year over year, his numbers in some instances are oh, actually higher than they were last me, year. Um, you know, I, I think I think you look at it now. This offense, if they're able to utilize their weapons, which include Alshon Jeffrey. Who must have have absolutely mortally wounded Doug Peterson or or Mike Rowe or someone else because they never get him involved in the game plan? Um, if you were able to actually utilize those assets and utilize weapons like Alshon and Golden Tate, then yeah, like I think anything's possible. I don't understand like the 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 obsession to get Darren Sproles back in this game plan, get him healthy essentially waste a roster spot all season on him now look maybe Sproles comes out and like he he goes x-factor but like he's had enough issues with his legs that at any given point he can have one bad moment in a practice and he's on the shelf for another three weeks it's a valuable roster spot and and quite frankly it's it's a disappointing thing to see because I like Sproles but is Darren Sproles going to be the guy that's going to carry you past like an LA if that were
2: matchup no, that you had to no, do but like, he's no. a better but he's a better third, third down back than Josh Adams or Corey Clement you know he, he's a better pass blocker than those two guys they can get him involved in the screen game even though Corey Clement was really really good in the screen game the other night you know he's he's still a guy you can run outside the tackles and he can sort of cut upfield and hit those seams when they do that outside zone and the sweep kind of plays he's he is a different runner than what they have right now but i, I don't I mean, yeah. There was a plain thing Bob tweeted it the other night, where it was like, I, "I don't understand the obsession with trying to trying to get him back, as if he's like the 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 guy who's going to fix everything and, and move them forward." Um, they why did not run, run. Why what
0: why not run split back sets, like just to get different looks? Like if Adams is in the game, you know, it's going to be a power run, right? Like unless you're going to go Demarco Murray and try to make him an East West runner, which he's just not as good at. Like, why not, not? Why, the, yeah, why not put? sprolls at least in the backfield with him, to give a different look, and then motion him out. Why not put Golden Tate in situations like that? Like, if you really don't know how to get the guy involved, couldn't Golden Tate take a few snaps from the backfield? Couldn't he line up there? Well, they're Maybe just like go a motion. Would,
2: like, why yeah, not? But it's a, yeah, but it's just a you know, it's just a West Coast offense, Russ. You know, what I mean, it's like the the strengths that they have are the multiple guys, you know, on on the line. It's it's getting Ertz and Tate and Aguilar and Jeffrey on the field at the same time, and then you have even even Goddard behind him you know I mean they, they never that's just what most NFL offenses are these days you know you know four wide and if and a running back I guess you know ace empty sets stuff like that they just don't you know team teams don't even have full backs anymore teams barely even run a run a lead blocker in there you know they pull tight ends back when they when they want to want to run lead blockers and stuff like that that's just I don't know it's just it's just not what they are it's just not what they've ever been uh under Doug and they, and they weren't that under Andy either. You know, obviously they, they definitely were not that under, under chip, but they, they did run the ball 20. What the hell? I got it up here somewhere. 20, My rebuttal some, to that. Well, you figured 90? that out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like,
0: why, ahead. why be a slave to your system? Like, I know that you're not going to break away from your West coast offense, but like you can't add wrinkles to it. You know, like if, if the idea yeah. here is, is to get the bigger guys out, right. To, to get, to get Alshon in space, to get Zach Ertz in space, to get Goddard out there like use big bodies like fine but at some point like don't you have to differentiate a little bit like I feel like if if you go out there with the same vanilla offense the same tuna can offense your week after week like it's easy to game plan against because you're not adding wrinkles like part, part of what made the Philly special stand out so much is it was just such an obscure thing and and it was so you know against the grain of of what Doug Peterson had done it's not your standard play call like yeah. Why not mix up packages? Like they just, just do it going forward. Maybe you'll get lucky.
2: Well, when like, you when you go tempo and and run pass option and start incorporating college elements and stuff like that, it's it's almost like to do that on purpose to kind of slim down the playbook and to and to make it vanilla. And to, like to steal a quote from Brett Brown, he always says, "We want to be really really good at vanilla." You know, and just get all the basic concepts and stuff down. So, right, and you you will see some college offenses that just run the same like four plays over and over and over again because they just nail them every single time and defenses don't know how to defend them. The, the adjustment for for Doug should have been people are defending the RPO differently. People have film on Carson. People have film on how they use Zach Ertz. Still gets him a million targets and a million catches a game. But I don't know. I, th- I thought what they did well on Monday night was they ran it like 28, 29 times with Adams, Clemens, Sproles. Uh, so it was, it was like 60-40 on the money pass run. Um, but what they did was they were running Carson a lot more out from under center. Uh, and so when they built a the running game a little bit, they weren't amazing in the run game, but they did enough to keep Washington honest. They were able to hit some of those screens from from, from play action sets, you know, from under center, stuff like that. I, I, to me, more more so than even just the wrinkles, I'd love to see them do more with Carson under center um, because I feel like naturally three-step drop, five-step drop, whatever whatever you're doing. That's the kind of stuff that gets you into a rhythm you know when you're just sort of sitting back there and, and shotgunning the ball to him every single time you know it's predictable uh, you know they they you run better i think under center than they do running out of shotgun i'd like to go back and look at that through through the film from from this week and from last week too and, and see how they did running the ball in each of those different sets i used to write down every single play um of the game whether it was under center whether it was shotgun or whatever and then i just got bored because they were kind of a shitty team you know Russ, when you say that
1: they're wasting a roster spot, or at least compromising a roster spot on Darren Sproles, would you like to tell me who you would like to plug into that fifty-third roster spot that's so valuable? It's not my responsibility. Is is, is Barry Sanders available to take Darren Sproles' place? Do you want Kelvin Benjamin, who got released today? I know it's not your responsibility, but like we like to say things like the they're wasting of the a roster that they spot. Cut? I'm sorry, what was DeAndre Carter.
0: DeAndre Carter. That would have been fine. Because and he would be that more, much more
1: valuable than I mean, Sproles, he was, who scored he a, a di- touchdown yesterday. A dynamic, didn't he?
2: He was a dynamic returner.
1: Didn't Sproles score yesterday? He did. Did I miss that? I think he did. He got in. Well, didn't that,
2: he? you got to give Jason Kelsey that touchdown more than. Well, it's a terrific than, block, <laughs> but the
1: point is, Sproles got the ball across the line. No, and, he did.
2: And He broke a tackle at the end of the play to get to get through and and, and finish it. So,
0: this goes back to something that nobody wanted to admit in the beginning of the season oh here comes another
2: like russ i told you so it's going to be a i'm going to do a post a jason peter and then get, it, and then get it taken some... down uh
1: <laughs> that's your specialty <laughs> no question uh that's
2: the philly special that's something that's the russ, something joy. That gets that's taken the russ down. joy special yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. is the uh putting it up and then getting kyle really pissed mm, no. and then, yeah um after being look, told not when, to when you okay. have no that's true I was oh, that's, the one who pressed that's, that's so true. I guess I'm culpable too. Yeah, that's that's you're an accessory to that bum, post. Boom, 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 boom. Um look, when when you let nostalgia take precedence over what's best for the roster, you get burned. And and you get burned with a lack of depth. And I'm not I'm not saying that Carter was going to be this, you know, transcendent returner. And I'm not saying that skill set is the thing that gives you the ability, uh, you know, going forward to make a sustained playoff run. But I think when you're constantly holding certain players and their injuries and their nagging injuries over the team, you just don't know what you can rely on. Like to some extent, the secondary losing Rodney McLeod, like I think that might be the biggest loss of the year um, because it it threw that secondary into disarray and they've never really been able to recover from it. But at least you knew McLeod was out. It wasn't like McLeod was, was, you know, rocking a a a calf injury or something where he's in for like a series and then he's out the rest of the game you don't see him for two more and and you're never really able to adjust to it at least when a guy is out he's out but when you've got guys like darren sproles and jason peters who like just cannot stay on the field cannot make themselves available I, i i don't know what to tell you but like to me that's not a sustainable plan and i get that sproles scored a touchdown last night which is great and I like Sproles a lot, and I think in theory, if you were able to make the playoffs, you know, Doug would have to be able to figure out ways creatively to, to give different looks to get Darren Sproles involved. But quite frankly, there's a chance that he goes out and practice on Wednesday or Thursday and rocks the same hamstring injury or calf injury or whatever injury that's, you know, kept him out for long stretches of the year, and there goes your game plan. Yeah. And that, to yeah. me, is part of the problem. Like, you want to talk about guys that go on IR and then, like, maybe pulling on one back, I'm not saying Matt Collins would have changed the season. Uh, obviously, you got Golden Tate, so you had no reason to bring Hollins up. But, like, you want know, to talk about roster flexibility? You know, Sproles is a guy, in theory, maybe he should have gone on IR at some point. I, I don't know.
1: They, and, um, and you're you're Peters, only relying on P- Sproles. You're only asking Sproles to give you three or four more games. Of useful play, but Phil, he hasn't been able to do it. That's the point. He comes in, he
0: gets a few snaps in, maybe he plays a game, and then he gets hurt in practice or he tweaks something, and then he's out for three weeks. You can't go into these last few games not knowing if he's going to be there. Like, it They're would be not great game playing around him, though. You make it sound like He's going to get forty
1: touches, but he's they're, their dynamic
0: player. He's the guy that's supposed to be their X factor. They don't have that from the running back position. They haven't had it since Jay Ajayi went down. So, like, what's the plan
2: here? Yeah, that's why I'm saying. Like, he, we don't know. We we don't know what the fuck the game plan is week in and week out. I mean, remember, like you just said, Ajayi. You know, Sproles was never going to be dude number one, even if every even if everybody was healthy. You know, even if yeah, even if he even was if you had a full to be that, depth, that dynamic
0: chart, change of pace you know, back. I, I guess I don't know, but but. That's what they went into the season expecting, <laughs> though, right? Like who who honestly know. thought that Darren Sproles was supposed to come in and be like the third running back or the fourth running back? Like we, there was a hope that Corey Clement was going to be able to take over the role, right? Like he was going to seize the day yeah, and like move yeah, yeah. forward, and he hasn't. He has not done it. Well, and you also had the angle, but
2: you also had the angle of Ajayi having a, having a full off season here and and being comfortable and you know, settled and knowing what the hell he was getting himself into. I think, I think everybody still thought he was going to be the workhorse. I still, yeah, yeah. I'm I still saying think after, they, I'm saying after,
0: I'm saying after a giant went down, like I think oh. most people thought that Clement was, you know, was going to build oh, off of yeah, the yeah, success. Yeah, they yeah. Had in the Super Bowl. That, Like Clement should have been the guy Smallwood to take in, over like, for Ajayi. A, a
2: dude. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. And I it didn't happen. It.
0: And Smallwood didn't really, but like Smallwood <laughs> had a, a few good games, but like
2: it hasn't been there. The, Adams, the thing with this team has been okay. He's, he's still just a guy. It's not like, I'm not anti-Josh Brandon Jacobs. I'm not, seriously like he's he's so tall See, he, somebody in the comments section today said that he reminded him of like a young oj simpson which, yeah i saw that which made me like kind of laugh you know because of oj's bullshit or whatever but was that before after a, somebody said that you're a girl for driving a, a frontier oh yeah we can we can talk about that later I, don't, I think that's an oxymoron kind of in general or like a logical fallacy because how many women drive trucks in the first place like i haven't seen a woman driving a truck since i moved back to philadelphia in 2009 when I lived in Georgia, I used to see women driving trucks all the time.
1: Well, by this analysis, you don't drive a truck either. Ooh.
2: Well, ooh. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> ooh. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Fill with the bird. Uh. Fill this The bird. You got me. Little bird. You got me. Um. No, listen, dude. I, I can't, like, you know, you guys know where I live. I live on a Fishtown Street in Philadelphia. I couldn't even, I couldn't park a Ford F, like, what what is considered a manly truck, like an F-250 or some shit. Like a uh, oh F three fifty Colorado go or whatever the hell I don't know. Got to go diesel. Yeah, diesel like a, a you know four miles to the gallon. You
0: should get a Pontiac Aztec like a uh, Walter Whitehead.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. Do it. a Nissan Titan. Do I need to upgrade to a Nissan Titan? Is that what I need to be driving? I gotta look this up. I don't even know what a Titan I don't, looks yeah, like. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't put a ton of stock obviously into into what the the uh, the, the trolls in the, the comment <laughs> section say. I like to interact with with some of the we have some good commenters in there. um DSDM is the one guy, an inquiring mind. I think is the other dude. Um, I think EJ posts in there every so often. But like, it, it, it honestly like got me thinking. Like, it's not like because you don't. I used to drive a Ranger, right? And the Ranger was like the most entry level, I had a like, smallest, too. Yeah, the Ranger was the smallest truck you could you could buy in the Ford line, right? And then they got rid of the Ranger for a while. I think they're bringing it back. I feel like they said they were bringing it back like years ago, but I still don't think they have a new model. Do they? It's so, like the smallest truck you can buy if you want to buy a Ford is an F one fifty. You know, but the F-150 models generally year-to-year year, year with, like, uh, you know, the Tacomas and the Frontiers and stuff like that. The F-150s are bigger. So, like, I didn't want to drive an F-150. So, when I got rid of my Ranger because it was old and banged up and stuff, the Frontier just made the most sense, you know?
0: Yeah, the Ranger's back.
2: Is it I'm back right now? now. The like, the can 20, you buy it? The, the
0: 2019 Ford Ranger. Um. The body of it looks like an F-150 that's just shaped
2: down. The Ranger right. that I had was, I mean... Yeah, I like the, range, like man. the 90, Ranger. Like a 96 was, Ranger. Dude, those my Ranger good, used, to a, used to be belong to Comcast, believe it or not. When I bought it, it still had Comcast written on the side of it. And they scrubbed it off at the dealership or whatever because Aww. I think Comcast was just so rich that they would they would use these as a fleet vehicles, right? And they'd drive them to like 30,000 miles or something like that. And as soon as it hit 30,000 miles, they'd just get rid of all of them when they could drive it much further than 30,000 miles, you know? but i think they were just like look we you know we can get billions of dollars we're just going to buy a whole new fleet of vehicles so they got that thing super cheap and it was reliable but yeah i never really it's thought of how a looks, frontier kind of or a tacoma being a woman's truck but i don't know maybe i'm a woman so um listen quick point about the eagles they they still did shit in this game the other night that there was the same shit that they've been doing same mistakes they've been making in in some of the re- other recent games right Carson still had a, a bone crushing turnover at the goal line, right? They got stuff, they throw. got stuffed read, on a bad a bad play call on a f- fourth and fourth, down, fourth, fourth and, and one. goal at the goal line. And that plays weird. It's like a, it's like a it's called like a duo uh, running play blocking scheme where you get a couple of two on ones at the line of scrimmage and then basically the running back just kind of like reads the, reads the gaps and sees what's open there. They just completely for, fucking forgot to block some dude coming off the edge, so that was bad. The defense had the the ninety was it ninety yards for Adrian Peterson on the touchdown when you know Mark Sanchez is in the first play the first play of the game the first play that he's played in two years. What do you think he's going to throw a bomb? Like, no, well, of course, if Andy Reid were on ball. the other sideline. It would have been a play action. Oh, right? Yeah, I probably would have like rolled him out or something. So they, they, st- you still see these like bad mistakes that they're, that they're making, like in games that are close. if you do that that stuff against the Rams or the Saints, you know you're not coming back from those kinds of things. So, I think that was also kind of why I was sour on it too, because it it still wasn't. You know, it still wasn't a clean performance from start to finish. You know, they still had some issues there, but I think they just killed killed the Redskins in the time of possession. It was something like thirty nine minutes they had, just because after that touchdown run from Adrian Peterson, Mark Sanchez just couldn't move the sticks at all, and they just sort of stuffed the run and bled the clock on him. You know, Phil, did anything else stand
0: out to you that uh, that you took away from the game?
1: Well, Kevin saw my thunder a bit. The Peterson run is absolutely inexplicable and inexcusable and an absolute symptom of everything that has gone on with this team for the last 13 weeks when peterson scored i was like i can't believe that they let that old man that washed up running back score that touchdown from 90 yards in a situation where they probably should have had nine in the box And then on top of everything else, now i got to look at some god-awful ESPN graphic about how Peterson now gets to join the likes of Jim Brown and Walter Payton in this one and that one. Adrian Peterson can't carry those guys' jocks. But we're stuck looking at that horrible graphic because Schwartz's defense, again, completely falls asleep with the switch. I cannot Ooh, poor wait. Poor choice of words saying
0: switch after Adrian Peterson. Yeah, well, Ooh.
1: it was not intentional, but it <laughs> would work out. Woof. <laughs> um, I can't wait until they go to LA and lose by 40. And then we have the ability to see that when they went to uh, New Orleans, they were non competitive. And when they went to Los Angeles, they were non competitive. And no matter what their record is and no matter what happens after that, don't talk to me about these guys. Just leave me alone, okay? It's enough already. Um, Kevin hit it on the head. They don't have. A quality signature win out of the six wins they have but they have some really horribly damning losses and that's what you need to yeah know they first. have what,
2: what is let me ask you this what is the Eagles best win this year
1: in London against Jacksonville that's about yeah, as good as I can give
2: you me. don't think that's you don't think the the Colts win looks better than that there's, no, so, because they're well, six and no, six I, and, I
0: think it's because we didn't know what the we we talked about all the variables that you can't plan for mm-hmm. In going to London, and that Jacksonville had plenty of experience going to London and knowing what to expect. That's true. I now, guess, obviously, yeah. Jacksonville's turned out to be a lot worse this year than anybody thought they would be. Especially even at that point in the season, there was a, a thought and hope from their camp that they were going to turn their season around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I still
2: think that's a signature win. They don't but have still, a win. they don't have a win over a, a you know I know this is kind of a, a stupid argument to make because when you beat teams, obviously you hurt their record. But they don't have a team. A win against a team with a winning record. We know?
1: thought when they beat Atlanta in Week One that that, that was, was a good, good sign win, yeah. because
2: Atlanta was a playoff and they're four team. Four eight, man. Yeah.
1: Atlanta's disastrous yeah. this season. They're four season. and eight. They're the horrible. Giants are four and eight. They still the, have Sarkeesian as their. Is, there a,
2: is Sarkeesian, Sarkeesian still their OC? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think he was fired. Remember after yeah.
0: last year, that was the whole thing. After last year, is like every Atlanta fan just wanted the guy fired. Yeah, yeah. And they kept bringing him back. There was it's nobody like keeping at that game, Le man. on there, your bench. There was so that's
2: <laughs> there was nobody at that at that Falcons game um, the other day, man. That place was empty. That stadium is like brand new. To that stadium. Atlanta tier, United so. is outdrawing. I would almost bet they you Atlanta are, United yeah. is
0: outdrawing uh, the Falcons this season. I, I don't um, doubt really, it. Yeah. Quick I don't doubt quick it. question though, uh, since we don't go into MLS on this show. Um, what happened like when when you saw at the beginning of this this Eagles Redskins game, it was I think it was the first drive, second drive for Washington, mm-hmm. um, Schwartz played that picket defense again, gave the underneath yes. route, picked up six or seven yards right morning. in the center of the yeah, field. Yeah. And and that ends up being a play that you know, you've conceded six, seven or eight yards or whatever it was. Wow and you yeah. just made you made the field goal that much easier. I don't and know, I get we, that see, but- in Jim Schwartz's like weird little warped mind they never get burned on that kind of defense but like when you're giving up those yards like sure on one hand you've prevented likely
2: a touchdown from being scored or a, a really But wait long hang on play, hang but on but like, hang on let me let but me you're s- handing over the yards but I'll stop you there I'll say that the the play before that they accepted a penalty to move them back 10 yards and that's do you remember that where they made it 3rd and 30 yeah, yeah it was it would have been 4th would have been fourth and twenty. Well, I forget what the penalty was. I don't know if it was a ten yard or fifteen yard penalty. But they pushed him back. They took the penalty. They made it third and thirty from the four from the thirty-six yard line. I can't remember. You no, know, from the forty something yard line. So it would have been like a fifty-four yard field goal if they had stopped him there. But you just give him. Mm-hmm. You just give him ten yards back that you just accepted in the penalty. So why the fuck would you accept the penalty if you're just going to play the picket and allow the underneath completion anyway? you know what I mean I don't I don't have a problem with the picket fence defense in in the concept of you're just going to allow the underneath and swarm them and stop them because Jim Schwartz is right they've never been they haven't been beaten for a first down on that play all year long or all last year but they need to adjust analytically the positioning on the field in which they deploy it because you're not you, you know the picket fence only should be used in the opponent's half of the field you know where it's going to be obvious punting anyway you know because when you you know, if you do it for, say the parameters, like your 47 yard line to their, like any, anything beyond that, then you play your normal defense because you, these are, these are NFL kickers who can hit from 50, 54, 55, you know? So I just, there's a disconnect there, not in the design itself, but in the at the yardage and the down and distance in which they, which they deploy it because it just doesn't make any sense. Why would you back the team up and accept that penalty and then let them just get the 10 yards, get those back. yards back. Yeah, so yeah. I don't I don't understand that as well. And that that goes into what I just said too where they're still making mistakes and they're still doing boneheaded things. I still don't think I think Doug called a much better game the other night, but I still don't think he's 100% there. I don't think he's 100% where he was last year for sure, you know. Um did you did you guys want to get into the I feel like we have to get into the broadcast crew.
0: Hold on, before we do that, I just want to, if, if you're looking for something positive to come out of last night, I kind of figured that at some point the fans would have uh, gone a lot more negative on this. So I put out the uh, the Twitter poll. Honest question, given the questionable play calling. This is right after, I think, the uh, the fourth and one from the goal line that they ran up the middle and, and got stuffed on. If you were, Jeff, if you were Jeffrey Lurie this offseason, what would you do? Keep Doug and pray or fire Doug and hire McDaniels? <laughs> and the first four votes, it was two to two. And I am very happy to say that at the end here, after 128 votes were cast, 83% said, fire Doug and hire McDaniels. You want to fire just kidding. Doug peter No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just kidding. 83% said, keep Doug and pray. Okay. Oh my God, I didn't realize, but keep Doug and pray, the 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 timing of that lines up with eat, eat love, and pray. Yeah. I think that was a Julia Roberts' movie.
2: So, listen. um,
0: That's good rom-com knowledge out of me. That
2: is. Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead. Listen, so. Eat, pray,
0: love, but whatever. Oh, man, you're right.
2: Uh, Jason Witten, Joe Tessitore, uh, Booger McFarland. Like, I didn't come into this game like wanting to like just – you know, I didn't have high expectations, right? But, like, I wanted to sit there and, like, just give it a fair shake and listen to the whole thing from start to finish and see what they do. And, like, I, I just don't know – See, Whitten is a guy who knows a ton about football and it comes out every so often, but it doesn't come out like the right way and and not nearly as often. You know, like if, if Tony Romo, for example, was telling me like predicting if he was like Nostradamus and telling me what every play was gonna be and that was too far on one side of the spectrum. Then Witten is too like, like like he did last year, right? Didn't CBS tell him that he needed to stop to dial it it back. Right. You know, so if Roma was going too far in one direction, Witten's not going far enough in that. Like the the producers, when you have new talent like that, somebody who hasn't done a lot of TV, but has a ton of knowledge, you just, you keep it simple with those people. You, You know, it's tell me what you see on the field. Tell me what that formation is. Tell me what, coverage the defense is playing just walk me through the x's and o's that's all you are you know this is your role you are a collar a a collar a collar commentator a color commentator and let joe you know take take you through the play-by-play and do all that kind of stuff i feel like witten went from talking too much in the early part of the season to not really talking enough or not saying anything that was that was meaningful in, in terms of what his expertise. His expertise is X's and O's, you know. So
1: (laughs) the trouble with Jason Witten is that he falls on the wrong side or the wrong part of the spectrum of athletes who can be in the broadcast booth. Because obviously you have a number of athletes who might be really useful in the broadcast booth, but they have so much money they can't be bothered. And then you have a lot of athletes who would like to do it, but aren't articulate enough or aren't willing to put the hours in. So it's really a small subset of these former athletes who, especially the ones who recently played, who you can possibly put on the air in the first place. Unfortunately, Witten checks a lot of the boxes, but he doesn't check the box of being interesting or especially articulate. And by the way, he never won anything. So for me, this is a situation where ESPN, again, cut corners, pinched pennies, Said, we spent all this money on these Monday night games, and we're probably losing money on a lot of them because the matchups aren't very good. So, we're not going to over invest on the people we put on the sideline, which is how you end up with Booger McFarlane riding that goddamn cart up and down the sideline, Why is he making a spectacle that? of himself? Why? Look, this Monday night broadcast is a disgrace, and we had to watch it last night because the Eagles were on it, but I wish. That there was another way and I wish ESPN would spend a little more money and, and do a little better job putting a product
2: on that I want to watch but can we can we talk about the okay so you really want to talk about the domestic violence I do I day, would man. I just want to read the bullet points that I did in the column today and that's kind of like how I want to approach it because they got in. It, it was it ended up being a big fucking thing right and they got to the fourth quarter and they brought up the Reuben Foster thing
1: and it, it, it They happened, did this because it, the game was out of reach, by the way. They, they never would have gone down this path if it was 23-20 with four minutes it's left. Tough, you really think it's so? But they a, had yeah. to do this because they had to fill the airtime because the Eagles were obviously going to win the game because the Redskins had Sanchez out there not doing a goddamn thing. Well, that's when thing. the producer
2: has to – see, I, bl- I blame a lot of this on the producer and the broadcast director. That's, that's what I came from. That's the world that I came from. I, I did it for nine years. Uh, I worked really closely with Beasley Reese at Channel 3, and we always did a lot of prep before um, we did the Sports Zone show on Sunday night over there, where if I was putting up video clips on the big board, we would sit there and we would look at it for like 20 minutes and go over like one minute worth of video until we got it down perfectly so that he could execute it on TV. So I want to know what the producers are telling Jason Witten and Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland in their ear, like hey, this game's out of reach. Here's a couple topics for you, blah, blah, blah. I hope that they didn't say, well, let's talk about Reuben Foster here because, number one, Ruben Re- Foster's not – he's hes on the commissioner's exemption list. He's hes not on the Washington roster, <laughs> okay? He pr- he's probably not going to play this year. And he's not going he to might play. Not, he right. might not ever play for the Redskins, okay? So, you, so that's one thing where you could say, eh, you know, we could justify not even fucking talking about it, right? Um, but – I'm I wrote this column about it i don't want to take too much time on it but i want to read the bullet points as to why i just felt like it didn't it didn't make sense at that time right okay number one if you're going to have a conversation about domestic violence you can't it can't just be two dudes sitting there talking about it like have have a female voice or have have some kind of diversity with it right number two the topic requires time nuance and detail you can't do that when you shove it into a three-minute window during the fourth quarter of a football game okay Number three, people aren't paying attention to the words. They're focused on the football game. There's an interception that the Eagles had that they were talking over because they're talking about domestic violence, okay? So even if you make some valid points, it's just going in one ear and out the other because people are focused on something else, right? Uh, Number four, the discussion was ultimately counterproductive because it felt awkward and hurried and forced. It, It felt to me like it was like a public service announcement. Uh, rather than anything that was truly sincere to, to me it felt like espn was just kind of like covering their bases for saying like hey i feel like we sh- we need to talk about this uh number five they didn't say they didn't say anything interesting they didn't move the conversation for it i mean they, they basically just like took a stand on something that everybody agrees with like you're not you really are not going out on a limb when you say well i don't think you should hit a woman okay well no shit right um and this is the other thing. So, like, from a television production standpoint, this is me as a producer, you have, like, these dedicated five, six, seven-minute blocks during the pregame and halftime shows where you can devote the necessary time to that topic. You know, the producers and the directors, whoever's in charge of that rundown, the, you know, to me, they blew it. If you want a discussion on Reuben Foster, do, do it at halftime, do it during the pregame panel where you can dedicate the, the necessary time to it instead of just shoving it in there. Um, and the final point I made was that ESPN... That's like fucking eighteen hours a day of first take and pardon the interruption and around the horn and whatever other shows they have on there, so you know you you have the three hours once a week that you actually get to broadcast football and you're gonna you're gonna add it to that. It's like none of that just made sense to me, you know. Seems like they were
1: just trying to jump on the
2: fact that Kareem
1: Hunt had had his situation. Uh, in the last, I guess, 70, I guess, and I don't want to. I don't game. want people
2: to take this wrong. I don't want people to say like, "Well, Kincaid doesn't fucking care about domestic violence or whatever," because that's not that's not true. No, I saying. just say like, you, you if you're going to do it, you have to like do it the right way, or or else it's meaningless. You know what I mean? I know a lot of people. Come, and also have
1: somebody smarter than Jason Witten involved. That would be a good idea too. <laughs> well, it's
2: like you you have people who come in and say like, "Well, if we don't talk about this now, how are we going to get the attention of people who don't want to fucking talk about it?" Well, I, I understand that, but like, you know. It's a very fine line. You have to have a delicate approach because Jim, Bob, Joe, Schmo in his South Philly row home who's sitting there with the Budweiser, he just wants to watch his damn game. You know, maybe he needs to change the way that he thinks about domestic violence. Maybe not. But but he's listening to Marilyn Mike. What are you talking about? He's
1: not listening true. to the ESPN he's broadcast. The he's got the well, TV. We take a break down. from the
2: crossing broadcast to
0: invite you to come out down to Lincoln Financial Field where. <laughs> Kevin Kincaid of Crossing Broad and Phil Kidel of Crossing Broad will be
2: performing. At time. Um
0: Well I'm gonna tell you what, Merrill. Uh I saw Kevin Kincaid at the charity game, at the media game, and he's got great calves. Why was it's Bill like- Cosby
2: there?
1: <laughs> what are <do> you see
2: <laughs> Russ, can you do um can you do It's really confusing you know the me. commercials with Mike Quick and Jim Herr?
0: Oh, Can you uh, do Jim Her? No, no. No. I refuse. It's Ed Her. Oh, I refuse. Jim, I refuse. Jim, Ed Her. I think Jim Her died, Kevin. <laughs> oh ben Her, Her, Jim Her,
2: Bobby. That's Her. a fine. Yeah,
0: sorry. Ed if, Her. If the a crossing back, broadcast is not is brought yours. to you by Harris Potato Chips. <sighs>
2: For the achiever in you, I don't have anything more to say about domestic violence. I just want to yeah, make
0: this point. Okay, okay. Thank you. let's get out of. I was, more, uh, I was more that. Offended, I was
2: more offended as a former television producer. I, I think with the way that with the way that they put it in the broadcast versus, versus any of the shit that was actually said. <laughs> this
0: is a hell to die on as a former producer. <laughs> Kevin Kincaid
2: is out Channel Three. That's in an place. outrage. Shove it in the C block. Jesus. All right,
0: so, <laughs> my God! All right, is Channel Three still on? I don't care. What? <laughs> oh my God! I don't care. Okay, they're like, uh,
2: real they're quick, fighting for fourth place right now.
0: Let's let's uh, fly through a couple other things. Obviously, at this point, people have already seen this. So we're not really going to to riff on, on much of this, but uh, uh, I would actually refer people to uh, Crossed Up with uh, Bob and Anthony for more on the uh, the the Gene Segura trade. Um, the one positive, of course, is that the Phillies picked up a a very good All Star shortstop. And Carlos Santana is now gone. His his financial burden is gone. The rumor is that he's going to be walking all the way out to Seattle. So that's exciting. Um, and Patrick Corbin today. This is this is life coming at you fast. It's amazing for for how many insiders there are nationally for baseball. Um, you go with, I don't know, Nightingale and Pisan and Rosenthal and Morosi and insert whoever else here. Nobody had the Corbin signing going down accurately at all. Uh, It was only in recent days that the Nationals were even mentioned as a potential landing spot for him. Um, Nightingale actually got to a a point today where he said the Yankees are out because they won't go past five years. And then his next tweet was all signs are pointing towards Philadelphia, you know, wrapping this thing up imminently. Mm -hmm. And within 30 seconds, he tweets out Corbin is signing with the Nationals as per. And I, I don't know what the lady's name was, but she, I think, writes for The Washington Post and I'm like, good god, like you would think for as many people are are plugged in, you know, if you think about it, Schefter is obviously the guy in the NFL, Woge and to some extent Shams are the guys for the NBA. And then you kinda and like I guess Darren Dreger and, and Pierre LeBron are really the guys for hockey, but like baseball has so many different people that are supposed to be the guy, and nobody had this thing. And for the Phillies, like they miss out on the top, you know, free agent pitcher. Whatever. I have a serious it, question. I have a serious
2: question about that, Russ. Do do any of these baseball guys actually like come out and say like definitively this is gonna happen?
0: It feels like every not, not in the same it, way. it feels
2: like every like tweet that like Bob or somebody shares on on Slack, like about a like a trade room or a hot stove or something like that, it's like very like vague or something. It'll be like the Phillies, I'm told, will not be outbid for placido polanco you know like but it's never any like sources tell me that it's, they yeah, it's that almost they, like
0: when a when woge wasn't allowed to to tweet out who was uh drafting who and then he was like so and so is focused on they are laser guided in their <laughs> yeah. efforts to acquire yeah that's
2: a good, yeah, that's a good comparison you know yeah. that
0: that is kind on of a larger level if, yeah. like,
1: can i just jump in and say is this really a level of interest that patrick corbin deserved no, honestly, no, and that's know.
0: that's the thing that I thought was strange. Like when I pulled his stats and I looked at it, he's though, he's what yeah. is he twenty? He's twenty nine, right?
2: Yeah, he's pretty old. Um, he is. It was like he's a bad injury this, in not, his past.
0: Yeah, it's not even like he's a guy. Like I, I never won anything. He's a slider pitcher, but like to, when when I look at this and I look at the money that was going to be going out to him and the way that these three teams apparently had courted him, it just didn't kind of fit the mold. of I and maybe this is just me being detached from the sport for a couple of years, but. You know, this wasn't like you were going after Cliff Lee. This isn't like you were going after even, like, a, a somewhat in-prime Roy Oswald. Like, this is just – this is a guy. Like, it this, speaks to the seriousness of starting AJ Burnett went to the uh, – left the Marlins for the, um, for the Yankees. It was like, well, this could work out, but, like, maybe – like, things need to break right in the first three years, and then you just kind of deal with the albatross of a contract after the fact. Like, if the Phillies had gotten in on this – and I don't know what their offer was, obviously, but, like – if they really were going to offer up a sixth year to Corbin, like it just never seemed like it was going to make sense. It really felt like maybe you get three productive years if, if the idea here was to push up the window and try to compete in the next two, three years, Like then maybe it's worth it, but I don't know. I, I think this will end up being a blessing for the for the Phillies in the grand scheme of things, and they've already apparently made inroads and in, um, in inquiries uh, to San Francisco about trying to acquire Madison Baumgardner, so we'll see if, if anything comes of that.
1: By the way, they also got rid of J.P. Crawford, which is not such a bad thing. Yeah, it's part of
0: that. Yeah, part of that deal, they got rid of Santana. I actually liked Crawford. um,
1: Well, a lot of people did, but he didn't do anything. And and he's sort of emblematic of the um, narrative that was thrown at us after the dynasty ended of here come the young guys, (laughs) here come the kids. Crawford was one of those pieces that they didn't want to trade for a long time, and they were nurturing and trying to make something out of. And he came up, and he basically
2: delivered Kevin's fart sound. As a Philly, cue so it up. Cue Seattle. it up. No, I was trying to do a real fart actually right there, but oh, I couldn't man. get it out.
1: Man, good enough. Point but really,
2: is, you're right though.
1: God bless you, J.P. Crawford. Good luck in Seattle. Have a lot of fun. That team's going to lose 100 games next year, um, but the, you're right, Rust. They got rid of people that did not do good for them and were not going to help them in the future, and they got a useful piece in Segura. Now he's an all-star. It's and incumbent they, upon and he, them now. They got an
0: all-star shortstop, and they got two relievers. Who might be of some value, of of some use. If they don't get
1: Machado or Harper in this offseason, though. If they don't get Machado or Harper, I don't want to talk about this team. Well,
0: doesn't this feel like it's setting up to be and I and I don't want it to be obviously like I would prefer that for as many games as the Phillies play and as many afternoons as that can, you know, keep you interested or whatever. Like I, I obviously want them to get one or both of those guys. I don't think both is realistic. I think money wise, like financially, I could see John Middleton wanting to splurge for both. It's just a matter of like his is each of those guys a fit with this team? Do they see a fit in Philadelphia? But doesn't it feel to some extent that, that this Phillies offseason was kind of set up at, at least the star hunting part of of what it felt like the Sixers were supposed to be? Like, obviously, the Phillies aren't in a position to contend right now. They don't have the talent right now already on the roster where they're like a piece away from really being a contender. But didn't it feel like the the Sixers went into their last offseason all in on trying to acquire a star it felt like that's what was supposed to happen here for the Phillies and realistically the Phillies don't have anybody who's coming up in the minor leagues that you know is going to come in here and and um, you know have a massive impact next year or or even in two years they really are in desperate need of adding some kind of star power like if you don't get um, Harper or Machado like is AJ Pollock enough like is that enough to to push the needle a little bit where you say like okay you know Overall, we've improved here. We picked up a guy who, you know, is is on and off of the DL, but is like a a solid hitter that also, you know, is able to steal some bases, hit for a little bit of power. Like, is that a total loss? I don't know. The way
1: you can equate these two franchises, the way you just tried to, is that they both got caught believing that if they have unlimited amounts of money to spend, that'll take care of everything. Here's the thing: lots of franchises have lots of money to spend. You not only have to have the money to spend, you have to be able to get the players to come and sign and play for your team. It's just not that easy. The Sixers found that out, and now the Phillies are going to find that out.
0: Yep. All right, so let's uh, let's get out of the Phillies zone. Uh, let's move on to, well, you mentioned Seattle, and Seattle actually just got a uh, an NHL franchise, which is going to start in 2021. Uh, any name ideas? The Seattle
2: Grunge. I want that to be the name of the mascot. Grunge. Grungey. Grunge. Yeah. Grungy, 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 and gritty can uh, can oh, yeah. do a mascot thing together. I dig it. The uh, I, dig I saw
1: Supersonics online. I think that makes the sense. Seattle <laughs> Supersonics
2: <laughs> the only music they can play in the arena is uh, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden.
0: Well, if they're gonna play Pearl Jam, we know that Bill Simmons is gonna be queuing up a, a
2: new episode Alice of show. In Chains on new Ringer. Nirvana kinda, podcast network. Nirvana kind of sucks. Are we sure? I don't really like Nirvana.
0: Are we sure that hockey's gonna succeed in Seattle?
2: Bill Simmons kind of reminds me. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but doesn't he have like a little bit of like a uh, Jeff Spicoli going on there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, Mr. Han.
0: <laughs> Are we sure Kevin Kincaid isn't related to John Kincaid?
1: <laughs> I'm not here to hack on a guy who is like worth 28 or 40 times my net worth as a media personality. Are I'm we sure that. that Phil's really you not guys do what you want. that much money? I'm pretty sure he is, just based on the published reports of the contract with HBO and the money he made with ESPN. Yeah,
0: I wasn't. I I have are we, to, we sure that Kyle Scott has actually
1: been working on a
0: sports betting vertical?
2: I have to uh, make a confession. I was not like a lot of people, like a, a lot of writers in this area, and a lot of like sports writers who are like in our. Uh, like generation, like late twenties up until like forties or whatever are, are very, we're very big fans of Grantland and read it all the time. And like their writing was influenced by that. And a lot of those guys ended up going on to bigger and better things. But like, I was never really like a Grantland reader. It was hit or miss. I read yeah. it a lot, and it was very hit and yeah. miss. Hybrid. I I don't know. Exactly I think I, I maybe just yet. because I was in TV at that point, I wasn't really like doing this kind of stuff. But everybody just sort of like worshipped at the altar of Grantland, and I was like, eh, you know, like, like like you said, Phil, it's like it was like some really really good stuff. Then other things, I was just like, eh, I don't know, you know.
0: Did they offer a thirty percent off coupon to oh, anybody stop. any day oh, and? It's sick of-
2: What's 40. the next stop? Oh, what's sorry. The next topic? Sorry, forty, but only what's today. The next um,
0: really quick. Well, since we were since we were temporarily on hockey, um, obviously the the Flyers hired their new GM. Seattle SuperSonics. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, so Chuck Fletcher was installed. They're going to have a press conference on uh, Wednesday down at Skate Zone and Voorhees. So uh, you know, Anthony and I, I'm sure we'll be covering that in some way, shape, or form. We'll be doing a thing with uh, with Snow the goalie, and of course we'll we'll recap that and all that at. Um, Uh, thursday's home game for the press row show on facebook live and on twitter anyway uh let's move on to our final segment of the show which of course (sighs) thoracic park (laughs) as kevin put out on twitter
2: he did a great job was that microsoft paint where did you do that everything i do is in paint yeah
0: welcome to thoracic
2: park i only do
0: (laughs) what's that (laughs) Oh, it's just a former number one overall pick. <laughs> what is that? Oh, it's smart Fultz. Remember when we were
1: having fun laughing about you died of scapular imbalance yeah. in the Oregon Trail theme? Yep. And that died really quick, didn't it? Because now we're going to do the Thoracic Park bit. Yeah,
2: wait, this player
1: has inspired so many tragic... <laughs> it
2: is. Yeah, there it is. Phil, so you can talk over this.
1: I think I should. This particular player has brought nothing but sadness and tragedy to this franchise from the moment he was drafted. I don't know what else to say. It's a shame, but I'm really happy to hear that he's going to miss four to six weeks with this particular thoracic outlet diagnosis. Which, by the way, it's very interesting that he's now diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome when he's been seen by, what, 15 or 20 or 25 or 16? I don't know how many doctors have seen him. How did they all miss this? and now he's got thoracic outlet syndrome, the same thing Matt Harvey had where he had a rib removed or some such nonsense, this is not good. Exactly, uh, that's exactly. my exactly. analysis. that That's my professional analysis. This is a bad development. I'm very concerned. And the only good news is he won't be hanging around causing problems for the team because apparently he just can't play with this exactly. particular Is that when Marilyn
2: Manson had thoracic? Out. Very possibly. What is it? Outcome thoracic. Sorry, thoracic outlet syndrome. That's day. what they call yeah, it. That's why I'm playing the Jurassic Park theme music here, not not taking this seriously because I've been up writing about sports since seven in the morning today. Um, How did all these doctors miss it, Kevin? I mean, you're you're the guy on the. Hang
0: beat. on,
2: How did all the doctors miss it? Um... So, you Woll, that all the Paging doctors Dr. missed I, uh, Um Well, let's back it up for a minute. Like, like, like. So the Sixers' medical staff and like athletic medical staffs are not like, like they're not just built in like experts in every single thing, right? You know, like they specialize in the common stuff that you're always going to see in athletes all the time. You know, so like Motor, the guys at Mako. <laughs> <laughs> what does that no, mean but you, don't, you don't like they specialize in athletic stuff motor functions knee injuries, Amco. elbow injuries stuff like that they don't like if you had somebody if like if if you were if if, if your check engine light is on you can come in and they'll, ch- no, they'll listen, check you if, out if you, you had if, if an athlete came to you and they had like a, like do you think that they are experts in zaire smith's like uh, sesame seed allergic reaction. Like, do you think that an athletic doctor knows no. anything about that? No. So, they, so but they, they goddamn well to be able to point you in the right well, direction. Right. So, they outsource then things to experts. But what happens is every time this happens, like a Sixers medical staff person is always like involved in these things. It's not like they go, they, it's not like they say, okay, you fly to Kentucky and let us know what they find. Like, they are very, like, in tune with the whole process. And there's usually a person there, like, physically there. I know when Joel Embiid had the the facial fracture last year that they had like hour-long meetings with the surgery staff who performed that who then sat there with the Sixers medical staff and said, we did A, B, C, D, E, F, and G and the the outlook and the prognosis and what you need to do is X, Y, Z, Alpha, Omega, whatever, right? (laughs) So I ran out of letters. I didn't know where to go with that. So... It's very important for me to establish
1: that from a legal basis I'm not commenting on the Sixers medical right, staff right, when right. I make this up. Like it's it's, it's uh but doctors are glorified meteorologists. Listen dude, get right, get right I can listen s- to it. Just look outside no, the window listen, and see here's what the just, is.
2: Here's a dumb example. I can sit here and I can write, Well, um Bob ba- Baba Bowie says that Patrick Corbin is gonna sign for the Phillies for X amount of dollars or X amount of years. I'm incapable of doing that, but I defer like baseball knowledge to you and Russ and Bob and other people who know more about the sport, you know? So that's all that this really is here. Now the thing is, is that if Markel has seen like, we've been told that Markel has seen like 10 specialists over the years. Okay. So I don't know if over the years, over the year or whatever, however long it's been. So I don't know if this was, them magically looking for a diagnosis for something that doesn't exist, or it's just something that could be very, very hard to diagnose. A lot of people, what I'm reading about this is a lot of people say it's sort of like a diagnosis of exclusion. Like for example, you could be a person who has like, what's, what's a, what's another example? Like say, say, here's a good one. Say herpes, herpes. You either have herpes or you don't have herpes. Like take, take like, here's a good one. Like irritable bowel syndrome, right? You can shove a, thing up your butt and you can look around in there and you can see and you can you know that you're not feeling well but they might not see anything in there and so they say well you don't have um diverticulitis you don't have diverticulosis you don't have this so we're just going to say we've done all of our due diligence here we're just going to say it's ibs right so i don't know if that's what the case is here if they say we have we can't find anything else but you have this this and this so therefore it must be this um but the fact of the matter is, and the thing that bothers me more than anything, is we we still do not know, like, we have not been told on the record. We have all these theories and whatever, the BMX bullshit, whatever. That's Nobody what it has, is. Wait wait, 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 wait. That is wait, wait, absolutely... I'm going to come there, back to okay? that. Nobody has said on the record, this is exactly what happened, or this is how we reached this point in the first place. If, if this is sort of a remnant of the scapular thing, we still don't have any on-record explanation of where the scapular thing came from in the first place. Now, now Russ, his the agent Raymond brothers came out and said that the, the BMX thing is not true. Now that yeah, depends great. if you, if you believe, yeah, I, believe I believe the third Raymond rate brothers, third rate well, that's a very, 5th, that could be a very 5th, valid thing because when you look at his track record, with some of the, the players that he's worked with, he's not exactly, um, you know, high, high profile right. agent number one. So
0: his, t- again, his top client right now is Zach Randolph. Who's about to retire. I, I think after the year, um, and, and really his cash cow was going to be Victor Oladipo, who obviously wised up and picked CAA the year before he became a free agent while he was still with the Orlando Magic. So, um, yeah, sorry if I'm if I'm not the most uh, um, soul. so skeptical if, Well, I, I am, because I don't think brothers knows what he's doing. So, like, look, if if it took you two years of getting your client to multiple doctors like to what was it? Ten last year, and it was another how many? No, this I year? think
2: it's been. I think the number is ten. Like over the course of whenever the process started I could have to where. Last it
0: is year, now. they said that they said last year that it, it was double digits. Well, the key, the key here, but the key, well, and but, then, but and Russ, then it was the is that was also sixers doctors but the themselves. As well. But the
2: takeaway is that he he had been seeing specialists. But, but previously, it wasn't just like the agent came out and said he's going to see specialists now. Like they had had consultations with independent people at the same time so it was it wasn't like the Sixers were saying you're fine fucking get over it you know and that's why it's written yep. into the CBA anyway that you, you, that you are allowed to seek outside medical opinions because otherwise teams would just say look we looked at you you're fine stop being a pussy get in there and play right they don't want that to to be the case so that's why it's written into the collective bargaining agreement that people that the people are allowed to get these outside di- diagno- diagnoses is that a word diagnosis Diagnoses. Diagnoses, okay. Um, so, so you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not. I, I feel like the Sixers have been. I, I don't think that the Sixers medical staff is like totally friggin' inept here, because you're talking about something that, if he does have this, is kind of like hard to diagnose, and it wouldn't be their specialty anyway. You know, so you would yeah, generally it's, outsource. It's, I don't think it's That kind of that kind of medical thing, anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's.
0: I mean, it's like you you get a ton of sinus infections. Well, eventually, you get you should be referred to an ENT because you're you're. Family practitioner likely isn't the one to kind of figure out the the long-term ramifications well, and, and, find how me, to, and how find to better a, it. Find so, like, me a
2: doctor at, at any level in any place in the world that knows everything about everything. Like you go to- Dr. House. To, Dr. House even had yeah, a team, guys. come on. Guys. Does, Dr., uh, does Dr. Oz know about Thoracic Park? Probably not. He's not, you not even know. a real oh, doctor. Dr. House is more of a doctor than Dr. Oz. I'm more
1: Oz. likely to be concerned that after we rule out thoracic outlet syndrome in six weeks That's, and they say he doesn't have it. Then what? It's going to be complex regional pain My, syndrome. Then it's going no, to be see, fibromyalgia. Is, now, and then is, it's going to be this migraines. Thing, enough. This is enough. the thing that I,
0: I want to put out because I, I thought about uh, uh, writing this up for tomorrow as a very short thing, but if you're the Sixers right now, with this diagnosis and knowing that there is, in theory, physical therapy available and the idea is that he might be able to return to form, and this is this is an actual diagnosis, and, and maybe it takes a little bit of that heat of oh, maybe he's just in his head and he has the yips. If you're the Sixers front office, do you now look to to make a move now? Like, is there any positive way? I guess weigh the pros and cons here. Well, if it's if if Fultz. Uh, if Fultz has a good physical rehabilitation right then in in theory you might be giving away like the 70 percent version of the kid that played at washington uh in a bad scenario this physical therapy doesn't work because it's a misdiagnosis because he's in his own head and nothing will ever you know make it better like there he, his uh, already low value plummets even further like do, like is there a possibility that there's a front office right now who goes you know what we can probably buy low on Markel Fultz get rid of a younger asset or somebody who hasn't been arousing success like I don't like this trade at all but it's been thrown out there a bunch like if you're Phoenix and you're sitting there saying like all right Josh Jackson's been a disappointment like maybe if we think about buying low here like giving up Josh Jackson's really not the big of a deal I think they value Mikkel Bridges higher uh, than Jackson at this point anyway like if If you're an opposing team, like, do you think about buying low here? Or are you
2: convinced that you need to wait to make sure that this kid's I mean, I don't know why any... Maybe it just looks like it's worse to us because we've been living this thing for, like, the last year. And maybe from the outside perspective, people say, well, it can't be that bad, right? You know, maybe maybe that's how you swing something like that. But the thing that's, that's funky to me is, like... This this all kind of re- restarted reignited. Every, remember, everything was friggin' fine this year. You know, this is the beginning of the year. He took a hundred million shots in the summer. He said he was one hundred percent healthy. You know, Drew Hanlon had him looking looking You're pretty good. Be super excited about yeah, what he's You saying. know, and for all intents and purposes, that's kind of what we saw. It's, it's at some points. You know, he he wasn't you know shooting as much as we won. You saw some goofy stuff here and there. But then it came, the Hanlon tweet came out and said he's not fully healthy. That tweet was deleted November 6th. We asked Markel, are you are you 100% healthy or close to it? And he said, quote, for sure. I mean, nobody is ever 100% healthy in this game. You play five games in seven days and you get bumps and bruises. That's life in the NBA. It's the stuff you signed up for when you get here, but I'm working every day to get better. Okay, so he said he's fine. Now, the only reason he would say that is – it." And, and if that's not true, is he's just bullshitting it because he felt like he was being pressured by the Sixers. But it sounds to me like they were not doing that. I don't have any reason to believe that the Sixers said to him, look, you're just going to have to get on with it. The understanding is that every diagnosis that he got, everything that they found beforehand, any kind of thing that he got, there was, there was never anything that said you can't play. Now, he could have done this earlier if there was a problem. He could have just went to them and said, look, coach, I, I just I'm not I'm not feeling right. You know, and the onus is, is ultimately on him to say, say that, you know. So I, I, I can't fault a guy if, if it was a case where, you know, he felt like he had to play through something because of what happened last year. But here he is less than a month ago saying, I feel okay. Elton Brand and Brett Brown then came out a couple of weeks ago after Raymond Brothers pulled that thing and, and or pulled, pulled Markel out of the lineup or whatever the hell. And Brand said, quote, he played last night. He played two nights ago. Uh, there was nothing that we saw medically that didn't allow him to play. And Brett Brown said the same thing. So we have all three of those guys saying within the past 30 days that they felt that there was nothing really to – there was no big concern. And they kind of brushed aside the handling thing. So, <laughs> like, I'm sitting here thinking, all right, nothing's – everything's fine. But all of a sudden now it's not fine. So you're telling me that three to six weeks of physical therapy is going to fix everything now? Obviously. Obviously. I just wish that somebody would be honest. Well, we're like, going to have to you know what it I know, is? we're going to have to we we the media we're just going to have to go go at him when he comes back and it's unfortunate cuz we've been easy on him up until now. But we asked him that straight up. I mean, you remember he just he's he, an we immature asked kid. him we asked him he, what happened to your shoulder and he just stared forward and didn't say anything. Because
0: he's an immature kid, like he and that's that's the crux of the whole thing. He may I also have an answer I, he
1: can't give you. Well, and and I think you the answer. are talking about the contract and, and know, angle, Phil. Look, no, well, or, or, or how he got, got injured honestly, in the first place, or honestly, any well, of Listen, let me let me just look, nip
2: that real quick. Not not like nip it, but just like explain it real quick. If he if he did something like if he injured himself in a BMX accident in, in a way that would like allow them to void his contract. The Sixers were never going to fucking do that anyway, because they used a first-round pick to trade up to get him, and he's the number one overall draft pick. They obviously are connected to him; they want to see it through, so they would protect him. You know, I don't, I don't. Yeah, but they would
1: silence him and say, "Don't tell anybody what happened to you," which is why he stares out into the blank
2: distance when you ask him oh, what's true. Going well, then on you get into shoulder. like PR strategy and multiple layers of all that kind of stuff. You know, that's
0: that to me is what
2: this is. And look, I I went
0: back and I, I was searching all over for it it was January 17th I said on this show to Adam Lefko and Kyle Scott uh, that I, I think it makes the most sense the BMX thing has always made the most sense PG County um, he I think it was around Upper Marlboro like that that's an area where I mean there there is a lot of um, a lot of kids that are low socioeconomic status they're a lot of kids they they ride, they i know it sounds funny but like they ride bikes like that's that's the thing to do there's not a whole lot going on down in that area if you're poor i'm not saying I, I don't know fultz's whole family history i don't know what what kind of household he was raised in and, and what his his family's income level was but like kids in pg county like you ride bikes you do stuff like you do impromptu ramps like whatever this is the thing that bothers me though like I think you can you can link a lot of these things together, and it paints a, a really logical story. He probably was out goofing around on a bike. Uh, I think it was JBL was the, the sound company, right? They're the ones who had the pre-draft video that I cited months ago where um, Fultz said that he used to have like seven bikes, but his mom made him get rid of all of them. Well, why would you do that? Well, because she probably knew that he could get reckless on a bike. There was a, lo- a high probability of of him getting hurt, and they couldn't risk that with his, all his his uh, financial future on the line. But in that video, he does ride up to his house on a bike with the pegs on the side. Whatever. Anyway, he probably hurt his, himself on a bike. Fine. Uh, it it likely happened before the draft. Not so fine. Um, part of that comes back to the the whole thing of like, did Boston realize something was actually up, or was this just? You know, a masterful job of of Danny Ainge putting influence right. out there um, in in recent weeks, and, and maybe it is. But if you remember when Fultz came to Philadelphia and they live streamed the workout, he didn't he didn't shoot well, and the th- idea was that well, you know, it was a real short turnaround. He didn't really expect to be there. He wasn't rested. Whatever. Um, look, if if all that happened in this whole thing is he fell, he tweaked his shoulder, he didn't tell anybody. And then you look at the videos that were deleted by the Sixers training staff or, or former train I don't know if the guy's still employed by the team, but by the trainer where like there were people who do physical therapy who said like th- these exercises being done with the form that they're doing could actually cause harm. Well, if if Fultz hurt himself on a bike and was afraid that like maybe that would impact his draft status or maybe it would give them grounds to invalidate his contract, because remember, he was an 18 year old kid. It doesn't matter if if it's legally sound you're going to be worried about what that could do for the rest of your life you're not going to tell anybody and so if you you put that little accident together not telling the staff the staff you know has you going through weight training you tweak it worse like now you have a condition fine but like i just wish that at some point somebody would just come out and say it
2: well it's the second let
0: let the and like let the city look The city has treated the kid like Rudy, okay? (laughs) And up until the moment where it came out that, like, he might be open to starting with a new team, which, of course, his agent denied. Like, I think the city was behind him. At some point, can we just, as a group, as a collective, can the organization, the player's representative and the player just come out and say, look, I effed up. I hurt my shoulder before the draft. I was goofing around doing the stuff that I always did as a kid. And I regretted it I didn't tell anybody this is on me and I'm going to learn from it and moving forward I'm going you know I'm obviously been taking my professional responsibilities a lot more seriously I tried to work through it I tried to play through pain it didn't work I've been desperately looking for for the the diagnosis that I got and now I have it and I truly believe that this is going to be the thing that gets me back on the right track why can't we do that I get that he's a young kid but Jesus, like if he doesn't have anybody in his inner circle who's intelligent enough to realize that being honest in that situation might actually buy the kid a little bit of respect within the city, within the organization, within the league, then I don't know what he's doing. He's just not surrounding himself with the right people. But at some point, somebody's got to admit it or it's just going to be like this thing that's going to continue to be a cloud over the organization. And honestly, with other with other front offices and other organizations nobody knows what the hell's up with this kid. Like, I don't even, like, if you cut him, like, yeah, sure, somebody would take a waiver claim on him, right, but like, at some point, you just have to exit Jurassic Park. You just gotta get this kid back. Get him on the court.
1: Russ, it's better for the Sixers if none of the things you just said ever happen. If it remains a mystery, and if it remains an unexplained, unfortunate situation where the kid just didn't have the talent they thought he had when they drafted him, it's better for the Sixers. But
0: it's point. disingenuous and it's stupid, Phil. Like, why?
1: They don't owe you the truth. You can't that. handle the truth.
0: They might not owe us no, the truth. No, they don't owe you like, the truth. Why is that's it bad not, for the that's not their business? But honestly, Phil, like, why is how it they make for the money. Like, guys hide stuff from organizations in every sport, don't they? They do. It doesn't have to be that they are they injure themselves. Organizations be, hide it. things from fans Absolutely. every day.
1: Yes. Russ. Yes. Absolutely. And that's in the best interest of the Sixers. If all the things you said. That you spent about eight minutes describing are true. Let's assume they're true. It's better for the Sixers if none of that ever comes out. Why? Because if it comes then out, that there folks will be lie deep them questions that makes them yeah. Look fine. Be deep quest- But as the organization, it's your job to do the due diligence and to get the intel and to have the know how and the knowledge and do the physicals and check yeah, the leads of every bit of information you are handed to get it right. If that damage was part of Fultz's makeup before he was drafted and it gets out that the Sixers drafted damaged goods, it's bad for the Sixers. But if it turns out or if they can keep the story that they drafted a kid who was healthy and who just didn't have it and wasn't good enough and mentally couldn't hack it, it's better for the Sixers. I think it's better that you can just blame a doctor if
0: if you really needed to and say that like they missed something in the physical and say like stuff gets missed in physicals. Like I think that's okay. Other like the the alternative is you're saying that the entire scouting department and the entire front office screwed up in drafting the kid. That to me is is a bigger indictment on the on the organization than saying that you missed something in the physical.
1: However, this turns out, it's not going to be good. I think we can agree on that.
2: What is that song? You don't know the song? No. Well, you and the guy from Facebook who didn't understand. Two is this America's, America's most wanted, one? and he uh, he, yeah. he posted on Facebook like, "How dare you desecrate the name of our great country by spelling like America in the wrong way?" And I was like, "Dude, it's a song, and you got to read you got to read the story anyway." Yep.
1: Nobody reads your stories.
2: Well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> hang on. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Wait a second. Is that a, a Snoop? Yeah, that's why it's that's two true. of America's most wanted because it's Tupac oh. and Snoop Dogg. All right. Anyway, oh. we'll have to talk about okay. that another time. Now I get was, it. Well, I yeah, feel better. So now. I just, I just, no. Yeah. So uh, I'm just fried on the Markel thing. I think. I think like um, no, but the, 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 the takeaway for me is what is kind of what Russ just said said right there. You know, the the kids had infinite amounts of of goodwill. You know. You have the support more than any athlete, more than any city, athlete in that the I city can think has of ever had. last has like ever 10 years. Had, you know. And that's just, honestly, yeah, I can say that with uh, more than Okovor ever got. I'll give you because, that. Because you know, this something like this would not have been treated this way in the eighties, nineties. Do you guys 70s, think it's because and, of the mental yes. health thing? Oh no, yeah, 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 Because yeah, yeah. so many people yes, thought it was yeah, mental. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but you can't. But also, just the idea of like tough love in general, like that doesn't really fly with like the younger generation who says, "Well, we should give you know people support and whatever," but. It's also the way he
1: looks. He doesn't come off as the toughest cat. In the well, world. his body language doesn't. He, he help. looks and, like no, he needs a hug. His body language doesn't
2: help, and it's like I, yeah. I know that, that that's how he's always been. When you when you go back and look at his Washington tape and uh, even how he played it to Matha and stuff like that, he's always kind of had that languid kind of um, you know slow kind of deliberate pace. He's not like T.J. McConnell. He's not, he's not like. You know, gonna gonna have this intense look about him all the time, but it doesn't it doesn't it didn't make him play any any differently. You know what I mean? But but for the purposes of somebody who's looking at him from the outside, maybe it makes it seem like he's not dialed in or he doesn't care or something something like that. You know, he doesn't he doesn't do himself any favors in that regard. You know, but he has the support of the fan base. He has the support of the coaching staff. Uh, the media has pretty much given him a free pass. We really haven't asked him a lot of hard questions. Uh, he's had multiple opportunities. He had a starting role that he didn't really earn. You know, so I don't. I don't know what else the kid you really can give the kid. You know, at, at some point, thoracic outlet syndrome or not, he's he's got to be the one who walks through the door. You know, whatever the issue is, and if and if the issue is or out the door is the case, maybe. whether he's going in the door or out the door, he's just got to walk through it soon because it just feels like you're getting to a, a point where this is just one big circle. You know, all right, I got to yeah. roll out, fellas. Yeah, I think it's
0: it's time to wrap. Uh, I typically Jeez. would do the, uh, yeah, I I would typically do the uh, the plug for all the other shows in Crossroad Podcast Network, but I think I did that already. Mentioned crossed up, snow the goalie. Of course, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, which was this combination, this three on the last episode. If you're looking for a little bit of Union news and the uh, the story that Kevin put out about uh, Mario Balotelli and the potential of him or somebody of his ilk uh, being brought in by the Philadelphia Union, make sure you go check that out. And, of course, Phil and I with uh, Crossing Broad FC, where we're going to be breaking down all of the uh, the biggest news and notes in international soccer, including the U.S. men's national team making a hire for their manager. It only took them 13 months to hire a guy that most people, I think, uh, thought initially was going to be hired. It, it was almost like the elongated version of the Brian Colangelo saga. So that'll be a lot to look forward to. Uh, in the meantime, go to uh, iTunes, go follow those shows, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, wherever else you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and a five-star review for uh, those co- uh, different hosts to read on their shows. And uh, for Kevin, at Kevin underscore Kincaid, and Phil, at Phil Keidel, that's K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell, it's Phil Kaidel. I'm Russ, at Joy on Broad. And uh, thanks for listening. We will be back uh, later this week with some more shows across the podcast network and probably at least one more of Crossing Broadcast. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon.